0: and welcome. Happy New Year. I'm Mabel Nainen, the host of Far From Home, a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. To learn more about me or the podcast, go to MabelNinan.com. I'd like to take a moment to express my gratitude towards you, my listener and subscriber for your support. I'm grateful to God for you. When I started the podcast in April 2023, I was not sure if anyone would be interested in listening to me or my conversations with others. But I pushed through my fears and launched the podcast in faith, believing that God has called me at such a time as this to play my part in discipling the global church toward a biblical approach to immigration and immigrants. I'm also extremely grateful for Philip Buckley, my producer who edits the audio versions and makes them shine so you can enjoy the podcast. We've published 18 episodes last year, and people from all over the world are tuning into the podcast. The audience is growing by God's grace, but more than the numbers, what matters most to me is knowing that the podcast is influencing the attitudes and opinions of believers Toward the foreigner. And my goal is to inspire Christians to reflect Christ by showing love in practical ways toward our immigrant brothers and sisters. If you'd like to give me feedback on how the podcast has encouraged or challenged you, you can leave a short voice message for me on SpeakPipe. The link is in the show notes. Now, on to our episode today. My guest is Patrick Kizehe, the founder of Giving Refugees Hope Uganda. He shares his story about his refugee journey from the Democratic Republic of the Congo to Uganda and then to Canada in a two-part conversation with me. This episode covers the first half of Patrick's testimony, where he recounts fleeing his childhood home in Congo and living in Uganda as a refugee for 10 years. We'll discuss the second half, second half, story of his journey in the next episode. Patrick's experience brought this passage to my mind. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. That's from Psalm 37 verses 23 and 24. I hope this passage reminds you that God is in control and he will direct your steps. You may not know what lies ahead, but he knows. So trust him and believe that his plan for you is good. Shout out to Grace Fox a fellow author from Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, for referring Patrick to the Far From Home podcast. Hi, and welcome to Far From Home with me, Mabel Nainan, your host. Our guest on this podcast today is Patrick Kidehe. Welcome, Patrick, to our show.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Patrick was born and raised in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which was previously known as Zaire. And due to political instability and a civil war, he fled into the neighboring country of Uganda, where he lived for almost 10 years as a refugee. He emigrated to Canada 15 years ago from the refugee camp in Uganda and founded a charity called Giving Refugees Hope. And this charity supports refugees from all over Africa who have fled to Uganda. And currently, GRA runs a children's home where it supports 18 orphan children and sponsors a training program that helps equip widowed women to learn skills to help them get back on their feet in Uganda. And they're also building a medical center. Patrick is also an intercultural trainer, a pastor, and a social worker. And through his social work, he supports the adults and children in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and that's where he lives with his wife of 16 years, Immaculate, and they have five children. We are blessed and honored, Patrick, that you are here and that you're willing to share your story with us. So let's start with a question that I ask all my immigrant and refugee friends. You grew up in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Tell us what your favorite childhood memory was. I know you said earlier that you have many, but maybe one or two of your best.
1: Thank you so much for having me and uh, thank you for reaching many people. So one of my child memories, which I will never forget, is about soccer. So the soccer field, the play in the soccer. I still remember when we had a, a little bit of tournaments as a children. And we used to pray in most of the evenings back in the Congo. And it was really something which used to put children together after the school. That was the game which is really acceptable. Like most people, that's what they used to. We used to pray and I used really to enjoy it a lot. The other thing which I used to like, which I don't do it better, but I love it. It's about singing. But now I have ended there up being just a listener. I like listening to the songs, but it was one of the things which I used to try when I was young back in Congo. Did the, you
0: have a fake microphone and pretend like you're singing?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> so we used to try to fake singing and all that, and I used to really enjoy it. Up to now, sometime I tried, but it's not something which I would do on camera.
0: Yeah, and I, so I don't want to ask you to show us your skill. Uh, but thank you for sharing that. Tell us about your childhood and what changed. In your bio, I mentioned that there was political instability and civil war. So how did that affect you and your family? And what made you flee to Uganda?
1: understand my reason why to flee from, from Congo and reaching in Uganda. There is a bunch of things which happened before. That thing happened. In the 1994, I'll take you back so that you can understand where this conflict came from and how did the family end up to be in Uganda as a refugee. Uh, in the 1994, there was a genocide in Rwanda, which consumed over close to a million Tutsis. Mm-hmm. so after the genocide, the perpetrators who have committed the genocide in Rwanda, they moved into Congo. Unfortunately, when they reached in Congo. They saw that for us, we are Tutsis. They said that we are Tutsis and we look like a Tutsis of Rwanda. For them to be able to settle in the Congo, they had to create something like for us, we are foreigners in our own land. My grandpa is eighty eighty two 82 years old now. And he was, his grand grandfather was born in the Congo. Congo to be called the Congo, my grandfather, we are there. When we, when these people reach. Which when they reach in Congo itself, there is more than 220 tribes and people used to live in peace and there was no problem at all. So they started sowing hatred, saying that we are settlers, we have settled into their land, we don't belong there. We immigrated from Burundi, Uganda, and Tanzania, and we are the people who are supposed to be chased away from the land to go back into our country. But on our understanding, we had no other country except Congo. So for myself, before all those things, we used to live a very happy life. My dad was a traditional chief, which meant it's like here in the system here, it's like being a judge. We lived a very comfortable life. I still remember we used to have uh, two houses, mostly in Africa for people who are middle class, their houses are fenced. Mm -hmm. We used to live in a very fancy house and we didn't, you know anything of other countries, or we didn't wish to go anywhere except living in Congo. So unfortunately, by then I was 14 years old. When we used to come back from school, the parents used to tell us, please come back when it's alive. We didn't know, but sometimes we, we could hear the, the guns yeah. going on far away, but it didn't have really effects and we didn't think that it's a big deal. As a child, because the parents were like, oh, it's safe, but please be coming early and come home. So we lived there for quite a few years, living together. The main activities in, in my neighborhood, people, most of them were Christian. Others used to practice African religion, which is just not going to church. And people used to live really happily. Most of them, most of us were cattle keepers. People used to keep cattle keepers, gods. And all that, and I always joke that it's a land where there is no such a thing as stress because it does not exist. So that's how that the thing started there.
0: You were beginning to feel some effects. Your family was, but you said that as a child, you didn't think much of it. So then tell us how you. I don't know if it's just you or your family. How did you end up in the, the Ugandan refugee camp?
1: Thank you. I still remember it was on Wednesday and as I mentioned with my favorite hobbies when I was a child, we had, we had a soccer match that day and we are supposed to be playing in that match, like just one community versus another community. Around 5 p.m. in Congo, we had a gunshot, but we are still in a class. When we were in a class, we had it at first people thought it is a balloon maybe or something going on, but it went on being so loud. The teacher came in and told us to leave and go back home. It was a very chaotic. When we went outside the class, the school at least had over 1,000 children. So you can imagine everybody being on the pitch and just leaving, heading in home. Good enough, it was not a far place. It was not from the school to where we used to live. It was a walkable distance. So we walk, but when we are walking outside the school, We saw houses burning in another village and hearing gunshots. We ran towards the house. When we reached the house, that's when we found people coming outside from our home, was my auntie who lives now in Ottawa, my uncle who died. And then we came out, they they came out saying, let us free, let us go. I had my backpack for the school and we just dropped it there. And we started heading in the east freeing. It's very chaotic. So that's where my uncle was shot and stayed, and for him, he stayed there. And my aunt just kept on, let us keep on going, let us keep on going. And fortunately, we didn't have an opportunity to bury him. So we went in. Around 6.30, it had started getting dark. We stayed in this small forest for, until maybe for another four hours, until it got really dark. So the people decided to start moving. So for me, as a child of 14 years old, we are not making those decisions. The parents were the ones making decisions where to go. So we moved from that place. We moved from that place to the place called Uvila, Uvira, which took four days. I still remember there is a gentleman now he lives in, in Kentucky. When we reached on one of road block, the the poor man was really beaten on the back, on his back. But every roadblock which we met, they paid money and we kept on going. So we went until we reached in a suburb called Uvida.
0: I just wanted to ask you before you go on. So, who was with you at this time? Is it your entire family?
1: So, my dad had remained behind, but we didn't know where my dad was. My mom, my brother, and my sister were together. And the other were like, we are over 200 community who just ran towards. So we went and reached in a place called Uvira. So in the Uvira, it's another suburb where my dad owned the house. She owned the house there. So we stayed there. We spent there for two weeks, but Uvira is still in the Congo. So the parents had figured it out. Let us move the kids from this area. Got Uvira, washed the stable. Then we, we come back again to home. Yeah. So when we reached Uvira, it was even more chaotic. I still have a scar here on the back of the stone. One after a week, still we had that we were not allowed to move because of how it looked like. I already said that when people talk about racism, most people think it's black and white, but it, it's more than that. There either in the Uwira or in the Menembe, there was no, nothing like a black or white, they all look like black, but all have a different way of differentiating people. That day we went in a the soccer. then I was stoned here. There is another neighbor kid, Richard, for him, she was killed in the evening. Then the parents decided that the villa is becoming unsafe. We should move to another country. The background of Congo, Congo was colonized by Belgium. which most people who are in Congo who are educated, they speak French. Those uneducated one, we have local languages like Swahili, Kinyamurenge, and all other languages depending on the tribe. So then the parents decided, my mom, my auntie, and the other people decided to flee into Uganda. It was a long journey. We went not by our choice. I still remember when we arrived at the border, we had the absolutely nothing except a mattress. We had, I think, $200 American when we reached on the border, on the border point. So when we reached in Uganda, all what they did, they acted up. From that day, now our state has changed from citizen to the refugees. For the sake of our viewers, there is no refugee. There is no one who is willing, trying to free their country. It's just a last resort or the last resort. Mm-hmm. So when we reached there on the border, they announced us, they recorded us and took us in refugee camp. So in Uganda, Uganda was colonized by Britain. It has more than 44 tribes. They speak different languages. Now we became foreigners. Now everything changed. I still remember that the first day we arrived in the camp, they gave us a machete and two tents, and they showed us the open space and said that's the house. But back in the Congo, there is no such a thing as even camping. So we didn't know what to do. It was a very in a very confusion state.
0: You're a young teenager at this point, and and walking. Yes leaving behind everything that you knew. And you said you had a happy childhood and you didn't know what is going to happen. You were facing an uncertain future. So what was going through your mind at that time? How did you process all this? What were you feeling or thinking?
1: We were really in a big, disparate mode. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know why people could just wake up and start hating us. We are asking ourselves, like myself, I was like, What the children whom we used to study together, the children whom we used to live together, how does their parent change and they are just against us, they see us as enemies, yet we prayed together, we went to church together, we did everything together. For just even for the sake of the viewers, those things happened in 1908. You may say, okay, this is very many years ago, but this last week on Wednesday in Igoma, a person who happened, to looks like myself, was burned alive because of how it looks like. The, the civil war is still going on. Mm. And fortunately, the government does not do anything about it. So coming back to your question, it was, we are just in a state of disbelief of what is going on. We didn't really understand what is going on. I still remember when we reached in a camp, we told the mom, we could at least have stayed home and died there. Instead mm. of coming mm. in this country, where we don't know anybody, where nothing operates. So the life in a refugee camp, it's one of the things which we we'll we'll never wish to someone to live in. Yeah.
0: Tell us more about that. Just give so, you a machete and two tents. They gave us, us two un...
1: machetes. Yeah. They gave us two tents and they said, okay, that's the open land. Put your house there. Either myself, my brother, and the other two kids when we are together. We didn't have any experience in the construction. The church people we, we found that in the camp, or those ones who had freed many years, who had lived there, they housed us in a church. Before. We lived in the church. Then other member from the from from the camp they came and helped us to build the tent. Very small tent. The luxury of five bedroom back home is gone. The luxury of having the maid and workers at home is gone. But One thing which we had, which was really good, we didn't have any fear. Uganda has been stable from since Idi Amin until today. But in the camp, more problems than solutions. They used to give us 10 kilograms of beans and maize. And those ones, you have to eat it for the whole month. Wow. I always think that unless it was Jesus' time where things multiplied the bread, there is no way the month. You can be able to eat that thing for a while. So the, I always said the mothers can make something out of nothing. They are so creative. So my mom made that we are going to be eating at 3 p.m. so that we sleep when we are not so hungry. And in the morning, you are, not, you are hungry but not so much so that the food which is there can be able to help us go through the day. We lived in that life for long. I still remember one time we used to go with my elder brother and go and help people in the market when they're buying something, and we help them to carry things and put it in their car or carry it somewhere. Then at the end, they either give us from that food or they give us something in in return of the work which we have done. Then we buy food and bring it back home. So yeah. for my dad was still back in Congo. So we lived in that state for two years. In a camp, there is no such a thing as a medical facility. There's no medical facility. There's no water, clean water. People are dying with just very small diseases.
0: Understand? Just for our viewers and listeners, and even for me to have some context, right? when you talk about a refugee camp, this particular camp, how many people approximately were in the camp? And my next question is: Were you allowed to go into Uganda wherever you wanted? Were you allowed to go to school? Were you allowed to freely take up a job or do anything, or were there restrictions on you?
1: The only restriction which we had were finances. We are not allowed to get a job because we don't have a work permit. But you can go and rent any house within Uganda. Okay. But this was not something which we had planned. There was no money. So the only thing which we had was to stay in a refugee camp. In the camp, by the time when we are there, there was 15,000 people in that small place. Mm-hmm. But right now, as I'm speaking, they have 135,000 in the same place which was designed for 20,000 people. That's
0: unbelievable. That's what the refugee
1: commander told us last year when we went there. Yeah. So and... it's a very conjectured place. I still remember one time when one... One grandma, we always refer people either sister or grandma. One person went to the medical center. The UN Sierra used to have a, either you have a back pain or you have chest pain. They used to give you this pill, which was the painkiller pill. So it was more just to work on your memory, but not to work on your sicknesses. Yeah, so that's how the medical system was. For the school, in the same class, like this small office which we are in, we used just to sit and It was, I can't call it a schooling because there is no, either one teacher out of a hundred kids in a very conjecture place, no books, nothing. You come and talk and then they go.
0: I understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you said two years you were in this place.
1: So after these two years, my dad had said that he's not going to leave Congo. God helped. He came in. And when he came in, she was able to bring some money because for him, he planned to leave Congo. So then we moved outside the refugee camp and moved in Kampala, which is the capital city of Uganda. So then our lives changed. But there are people who were, who were in that camp who have spent 25 years in the camp because they have no other options. Congo is not yet ready to receive people. People are still dying across Congo. So when we reach in, in Kampala, for us again, the life changed. My dad was able to sell the house back home using the other channels. And we bought a house and everything changed. We went in real schools and we started having our lives together again.
0: But you were still foreigners. Still foreigners
1: in Uganda. We still have some limitation of not having a job, being asked, where do you come from? Because as much as we are all African and look black, but Ugandan can know that this is a foreigner. This is not a foreigner. Yeah. We still have it was more better than refugee camp. Mm-hmm. Since now we could not be we are eating twice a day or three times, whatever way we want. If you are sick, you would, we would be able to get a medical care. Because medical care in Uganda, you need to pay for it. Education, you need to pay for it. Everything you need to pay for it. So if you don't have money, then there is nothing. And the social assistance, like the government social assistance. Uganda does not have a capacity to create that venue for people to be able to benefit. So if you don't have a job, you don't have a farm, then you have nothing to live on.
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna have to pause uh, here, Patrick. Thank you for talking with us. We are gonna continue our conversation with you in another episode, which will be part two of this conversation. Thank you for taking us through your journey so far and we'll pick it up in, in part two. Thank you for joining us today on Far From Home, a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. I'm your host, Mabel Ninen. I would like to invite you to join our private Facebook group, Far From Home Podcast, a place where you can share your thoughts and comments. I also share extra scenes and behind-the-scenes snippets on this Facebook group. I can't wait to meet you there and listen to what you have to say. If you want to know more about Far From Home or about me, go to MabelNinan.com. Some episodes of this podcast are available in video format on my YouTube channel, Mabel Ninen. Be sure to check that out if you're interested in watching the interesting conversations I have with the guests on this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'm so glad you joined us today.